Hello, this is Doug McPherson of Size 10 and a Half Boots, welcoming you to the latest edition of the Coffee Cast. And I'm very glad to say that today I've been joined by Leo Franks, who is the BD Director at Kingsley Napley. Leo, thanks very much for agreeing to do this. Hi, Doug. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much indeed for the invitation. We do have a little um, quirk, for want of a better word, when we've got a debutante on the coffee cast, and that's to ask, what's your favourite type of coffee? Oh, I am partial for a, uh, a cappuccino with as much chocolate as the barista can uh, put on onto it. Uh, so the coffee itself doesn't have to be anything exciting, but really, really what I want to be drinking is a hot chocolate, but I can't justify the calories. So big cappuccino, heap of chocolate on top. I'm as simple and boring as that. Love it. And it does add something to it, doesn't it? When you've got that chocolate sprinkling nice and heavy on top of the cream. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I could drink hot chocolate all day long, but um, as you've probably seen, I, I'm someone who could do with uh, consuming less calories and therefore that's not my particular drink of choice nowadays. And you've never gone down the mocha route? I've been there, I've done it, um, and then I've seen the calorific impact. So I've gone back to the, you know, the purest caffeine of the cappuccino with that little sprinkling just to give me uh, that bit of palate stimulation that I wanted in the afternoon. Excellent. Um, Leo, when we originally spoke, you were talking about how you use client feedback when you're doing your planning, which is obviously something that's right out of the uh, 10 and a half playbook. We are forever telling people they've got to flip the pyramid, put new client acquisition second to, to looking after your clients. Why is it that you focus so heavily on using client feedback when you're doing your marketing planning? It's a really good question, Doug. Obviously, the cost of new customer acquisition is a lot higher than retaining existing customers. So as a starting point, the most efficient thing to do is to make sure that the clients and customers that you have on your books are well served, are feeling as though they're getting good value, and that you are uh, providing the right kind of service and listening and learning to them. And wherever I've worked in all of the professional services organizations that I've had the, uh, the pleasure of being a BD and marketing director, I've observed that people tend to avoid asking clients for feedback. Sometimes it's because people are afraid of what they might say. Sometimes it's because partners are very busy and don't have the time. Sometimes it's because there's a concern that we're there to serve the client and asking for anything in return is inappropriate or will somehow damage the relationship. But I've probably been involved in, I'm going to say, hundreds of client feedback processes over the years. And I've never once seen a client reject or recoil. Most clients, in my experience, are delighted to share their thoughts, positive, negative, constructive, destructive and in many situations, the intelligence you can glean from those conversations gives you as a firm the opportunity to improve the service you offer, to look for new opportunities to deliver service to that client. And sometimes can also yield fantastic wider marketing opportunities, whether in the form of thought leadership and content or intelligence. So I'm a big fan of starting with the clients you have, giving them some value back and not being afraid to ask for their help in making sure you're doing the right things to serve them. I mean, obviously the listener can't see it because this is a this is an audio vehicle, but I'm nodding to the point that my shoulders are now starting to hurt me because, and it's 
something that we've discovered from years and years of doing independent client listening exercises. And it's, it's one of the things that I sort of say to interviewees at the start, look, be open, be honest, because this is going to get you better value for money and a better level of service. And everybody agrees to do it. There really isn't any reticence on the client side. So it's fantastic to hear you saying that. Um, what do you think the benefits of counterbalancing your internal ideas with external feedback are? I've worked, I think, in six professional service environments in the 20 something years I've been in the, the industry. And in every one, the partners that I work with, the senior the earners, are real experts in the service they deliver. Um, in many of those firms, including my current firm, many of our partners are world renowned at delivering a particular kind of advice. They've honed their skills through many cases or projects, through learning, through development, through training, and they're fantastic at client service delivery. But many of those partners have not invested as much time in thinking about what the client needs, in thinking about what is happening in the wider market. They are typically focused on helping the client with their problem at that point in time. So I think there's a huge value in offering a different perspective, a wider perspective, potentially. I would never claim that BDN Marketing has as much knowledge about any one particular client as a partner who serves them for many years. But we can often be a conduit to intelligence and insight on the wider world. So bringing in the voice of not just a particular customer, but the wider market that can be through surveys or research or market intelligence or competitor benchmarking or other forms of macroeconomic analysis. But that wider context can often be very useful in helping to shape not only the strategy of a firm, but the tactics with which our partners operate. So I'm a, a firm believer in the counterbalance between the deep insights a partner has on their particular client and the broader, higher level, wider context that the business development knowledge and marketing function can provide. Again, I couldn't agree more. Um, you talk there, and I don't want to, to paraphrase you or put words in your mouth, but you talk there about what the client wants in the current tense. What about the future tense? What comes next? How much can the client add there? That's a really good question. It, it depends on the situation of the client, the type of buyer they are. Um, leaving aside um, unexpected events, disputes, um, the kind of bet the company issues that no one saw coming, but focusing on the more business as usual side of, of, of work, most of the clients I've had experience of have a firm grasp of the strategy of their organization. They have a sense about where their business is going and they pay attention to, at least at a high level, what is going on in the wider context, whether it's regulatory or political or the competitive environment. So they'll often have a good understanding of, for their organization, what the short, medium and long-term priorities are. So the more we can do to get under the skin of that and to understand that, the better. Again, I've often found partners are reticent to push clients around that. They will typically focus on how can I help you today? This particular transaction project case you have, yeah. uh, I have all of this experience and insight and the team is great. Let me help you solve that problem. 
but a lot of people will find it to be cheeky or impertinent to say, so what's a year down the, the line? What's three years down the line? What's five, 10 years down the line? What's the wider strategy of your organization? So often there's a value in someone in BD either facilitating that conversation or training partners or on occasion, I've done this myself, actually asking that question directly. And again, coming back to something that you said earlier about clients being willing to be part of that process, are they willing, in your experience, to share what they want to do in one, three, five years time? I would say most of the clients I've interacted are, providing they've had a at least a positive, if not uh, a very positive experience of dealing with you as a supplier. Mm. I've been in situations, not at this firm, but at previous firms where there is some discomfort in the service that's provided. And I've been there to seek client feedback, to try and mend fences and build relationships. And in those contexts, you can understand the reticence of a client to yes. disclose information or make any form of undertaking about the future when they're frankly upset with what's happened in the recent past. But generally, where you have a positive relationship, where you delivered positive service, people are happy to talk, people are happy to share. They're also often, but not always, interested in insights from the wider market, which they can only receive by talking to consultants, lawyers who are operating with multiple clients. So they're happy to talk on that basis. So, and I'm going to try and phrase this uh, diplomatically, which isn't always one of my strengths. Sometimes lawyers, accountants are confident in their own opinions um, and don't always take kindly to external advice telling them how to run their client relationships. Have you ever come across any friction between what partners think and what clients say? I have come across numerous instances. Numerous instances. I've come across numerous instances of the type of friction, Doug, that you mentioned. And that's often born out of partners, again, being focused on the here and now, being focused on the delivery of a particular piece of client service yeah. or resolving a particular matter and not having the time or the uh, market intelligence to look more broadly. So I've often found that by coaching and, and, and helping people through that uh, debate, you can encourage them to look more broadly there are some situations where of course you can't there are some people who aren't interested there are some people in my experience who are so incredibly eminent uh, in their field that they believe no one else could possibly offer any value and sometimes they're right but often the different perspectives that a business development person can offer the perhaps higher level but less deep view that we can provide can actually open eyes and encourage people to think outside of their day-to-day. -day. And given the role that you play in business development and marketing, and I'm guessing most of the clients that you're talking about are commercial clients um, in some capacity, do you think that your insight and their insight actually gives you the foundation for a more commercial service offering? I think that's a great question. I've sometimes observed that when you have a highly technical partner who uh, focuses on the practicalities of serving a client, they don't necessarily find the time or have the wider skills to engage on a commercial basis with their client. And I've uh, often found myself in a position where I can talk to a client without claiming to understand the deep technical issues at hand, but on a 
uh, on a business level, on a commercial level, uh, and build a rapport and relationship with that client around the strategic or commercial issues that matter and use that intelligence to help our partners internally shape their approach, not necessarily to a particular case, but to a wider client relationship exercise. It, it, it's sometimes because if our clients have a commercial or finance background, they're used to talking that language. And if our partners are lawyers, they're used to talking in, forgive me, legal language. So if you put in front of a client, someone who also talks in that commercial and financial language, you can often build a relationship in a slightly different way, tease out slightly different intelligence and deepen the relationship. It's not always the case. There are some situations where it would be inappropriate, ineffective or inefficient to, to put someone like me in front of a client relationship. But sometimes, especially where you have uh, technically strong partners, that commercial angle adds a bit of value. And I'm guessing that a lot of the listeners will have listened to the compelling and very credible argument you've put forward um, for making sure that you're injecting client feedback into your planning sessions. But maybe some of them are thinking, okay, I get the I get the theory, but how do I do it in practice? What what would your advice be? I would say start small. Start with a situation where the risk to the firm is limited and where your knowledge and expertise translates. So if there is a particular client which is uh, massive in size for the firm and a very large proportion of the firm's revenue and you've never made the effort to go out and get feedback, don't start with that mega account. Start with something bite-sized where you have a friendly and supportive partner who is willing to entertain having a BD person undertaking a feedback exercise. Everywhere I've worked, it's immediately apparent that there are some partners that are massively enthusiastic for that process and others that aren't. So find an enthusiast, offer to work with them. And something I do, even after 20 something years of doing this, I ask partners to help me shape the questions that I'm going to use. I have a framework that I've developed over the years and that I've tailored based on the industry and the situation I'm in. But I always ask partners based on their knowledge of the relationship and their knowledge of the, um, the particular service delivery to help me finesse that. That gets a bit of buy-in. That makes sure that I don't ask anything stupid. And there's always a risk when you don't have deep knowledge, you can ask stupid questions. But if you're getting that advice from the practitioners who've been there and done it and worked hand in hand with the client, you can minimize the risk. So I guess my answer to your question, Doug, is start small and make sure that you have buy-in and support and guidance from partners. And again, a direct mapping onto, onto the way that we do a lot of these exercises, which is making mistakes where there's least risk. Get your words in order. Um, lastly, we'd like to end the coffee cast with three top tips that the listeners can take away and use to build their practice. So could I ask you what your top three tips for improving the marketing planning process are? So being a marketeer, I have the three C's, three C's that I'd like to use to answer your question, clients, competitors and comparators. The clients piece for me is about understanding where clients are on their journey with you. I often talk about the favorability journey, recognition, reputation, relationships and revenue. But the better you understand where a client is on their journey with a firm, the better you can plan appropriate strategies and tactics for marketing and BD. So clients, understanding them is my starting point. The second point, competitors, is about looking at those that you are fighting with for market share, understanding what tactics they're using 
and doing something different. In my experience, there's very little point in doing the same thing as 20 other firms who've been doing it longer than you. You need to look for white space. You need to look for something that will make you stand out and be different, that you can own, that you can get good return on investment from. So that uh, competitor analysis piece is very important. The third and final point for me, the comparators point is about looking across your peer organizations, whether they're competitors or from slightly different industries and looking at the tactics they are using and considering whether any of those are outside of your current marketing mix and you should bring in. And I think if you bring those three elements to bear, understanding your clients, looking at your competitors and finding white space, and picking up best practice from your comparators, you can build really effective marketing and BD strategies. That's absolutely fantastic. I love the three C's, by the way. I've never heard that before. Um, and it's good that you're talking about the comparators within the industry and outside the industry, because I always think there's so much that we can learn from people who are just good at marketing. They don't need to be in the same job. Yeah, I agree entirely. I spent a lot of my career in the accounting industry and the last few years in the legal industry. And a lot of the tactics I use now in legal are potentially innovative for some law firms, but have been used for many years in the accounting industry. So I've looked at what worked there. I've tailored it. I've made sure, made sure it works from a regulatory and compliance perspective, and I've imported it. And I also put a lot of my spare time into networking with peers in industry organizations. And I'm always learning from people in real estate or accounting or consulting and even in law. So I think having that external point of view, uh, taking input from others, learning from their successes and failures is the best way of being the best marketer you can be. Excellent. Leo, thank you ever so much for taking some time out of your day to talk to me. I've really enjoyed our conversation and I'm sure that the listeners will be able to drag out a whole load of stuff that will help them improve the way that they market their firm. So thank you again. Thanks, Doug. Great speaking to you. Have a good day. And you. Um, that's it from this edition of The Coffee Cast. Please, if you get a couple of seconds, if you could just leave us a, a review, it really helps with the algorithm and generally making us more popular across the world. Um, there are also a whole load of white papers, top tips and other BD resources at 10.5.co.uk forward slash resources. And if you'd like to be a guest on the coffee cast or you'd like us to cover something specific in an upcoming podcast, then please email me at Douglas at 10 and a half, all in letters, .co .uk. But until the next time, cheerio. Cheerio.